This is Strange Assembly episode 281, Ikoria, Lair of Behemoths. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Mike Cook. Hello. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast through the Apple Podcast or the Google Podcasts app, since someone was so kind to tell me that it's not like through the Google Play Music Store anymore, especially since that's not going to exist. This is what I get for not having an Android phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be in the same boat. <laughs> and, and we are here to talk about the most recent Magic the Gathering set, Ikoria Lair of Behemoths. It feels a bit weird for me because the set... As of the moment that we are recording, the set came out in English physically yesterday, but it came out a month ago yeah. in Arena, and I played it a bunch in Arena, so it's it's kind of weird feeling. It's brand new, and yet also yesterday's news. So hopefully you feel like it's brand new and continue listening to the episode instead of just going, delete! So Ikoria is, what, the third out of at least four or so of these one-shot sets where we're hopping from world to world. We're going, we have Eldraine, and then we had Theros, we have Ikoria now. Later this year, we're going to have Zendikar, and in between there, we've got the, the core set, of course. And so the shtick of Ikoria seems to be big monsters, right? The behemoths? Yeah. As it calls it. So Mike and I are just going to take a look at the set and what we personally think about the set. Mike can talk when, when he goes in uh, about the perspective he looks at it from, but just up front, let me know. I don't look at magic sets anymore from a perspective of let's assess the power level of things for what I'm going to use in my tournament crushing standard or modern deck. I look at sets from the point of view of a I'm playing with my kids, and I'm playing casual commander, and I'm just messing around, and do I like the art, do I like the theme, that sort of thing. So my high-level overview of Ikoria is that this is not a set that I'm happy with. And so instead of me babbling on at the moment, I'm going to kick it over to Mike to intro the set in uh, hopefully a more positive fashion. So Ikoria, the newest set for Magic, they it's pretty cool. Big monsters are always, pretty much always fun. I certainly have at least a little bit of Timmy in my heart, so of course I, I like, you know, that, that psychographic where I like big monsters. I, I think they're fun. The idea of build your own monsters and, you know, combining things is really neat. I think Mutate is a really interesting mechanic. Mutate's actually it's stronger than you think, or at least for me, it was stronger than I expected, and also it was easier to understand than I thought it was going to be, but it still adds just complications, <laughs> kind of like you'd expect, and it still has the weakness of, if you know, if I stack this monster up and you have one removal spell, I am two-plus-ing myself for one whenever you remove it. So, technically, not always the, gr the greatest thing, but I think they did a pretty good job at getting mutate triggers so when if you try to mutate something they blow the thing out from under it you still get the creature even if you don't get the mutate trigger if you mutate 
onto something, usually most of the mutates do something when you mutate. So you're paying both a reduced cost for the creature, and you're also getting whatever effect it has on it. And whatever effect might be on the creature you're mutating onto, since they can also have mutate abilities. But just in that sentence, you can see how complex this can get. So I I totally get for Chris where, like, trying to explain this to your kids is just, it's pretty hard. In play, mutate often feels like a very exotic form of auras. It actually kind of makes me wonder, like, if they could just get auras to sing in the way that they sometimes seem to be able to get, like, equipment or the mutate as well. I, I was very undecided on mutate when I first saw it. I'm like, huh, that's strange. I'm going to have to see how that plays. And like I said, to me, it, it feels very in- enchantment-ish. Yeah. Most often, if, if you're building a whole deck around it, the, the lion's share of the cards in the deck, that your creatures, right, you're going to have things that have mutate triggers. So at least one and maybe both of the cards that you're mutating together are going to have an ability when they trigger. And and like you said, Mike, if they, unlike with an aura, if they blow the creature up as you're trying to do the mutate, then you usually end up with your cheaper-costed creature on the table anyway because they just turn into a normal creature spell. And if they blow it up afterwards, yeah, they two-for-one you, but you usually have gotten at least one, if not two, mutate triggers out of that. So it could be like, well, you two for one to me, sure, but I got to go fetch a land and you had to discard that card out of your hand too, or whatever the various combinations that you you have are. The actual complexity issue, and this, this is going to come up a couple of times in this set, and I feel like such a loser, honestly. Since I, back, back quote-unquote, back in the day, I was more of a, uh, you know, spiky sort of player and so this is just sort of the antithesis of of spike but mutate is very hard relatively speaking to keep track of on the battlefield yep because the physical cards just came out i'm not sure i think this is more of an arena thing but that's what all of my initial play was with mutate is that when you look across the table it doesn't look that visually distinctive. I, I mean, they, they do things to make it look distinctive, but you still have just the one picture. But now the one picture of the card doesn't really tell me anything about what the card does because it's this amalgam of all of these other things. And so it enables things like those stupid moments when you forget that, oh, this card actually does this other thing too, and I just like walked my creature into a first strike or whatever. That is actually my biggest problem with Mutate. And it's, I, I, I feel like the dumb noob or something who needs New World Order to simplify the table complexity or something right. like that. But it, that's actually my biggest problem with Mutate is just that it, it makes it a mess to kind of keep track of what's going on with that creature. More so on Arena, because in Fizzit, right, in the physical cards, you're going to have both of those cards still sitting there on the table. And it's very visibly obvious that it, maybe you might have to look and double check what that thing is, but you don't have that subconscious thing because it's, the art on cards can be so important in like subconsciously tracking what it is that the cards are. So that's actually the, 
the main thing that I have with mutate. I mean, you're not wrong about what kind of board complexity can a nine-year-old handle, right? Too, but just even for me personally, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and I, I saw that a lot, both playing it and watching people stream it. it like, especially initially, people just didn't quite get it. And when I first read the mechanic and was trying to process it, I frequently shorthand things like, oh, this is like this. And I think a lot of people do that. And how I really initially shorthanded it was that it was like the um, emerge mechanic from the return to Innistrad, I think, where essentially you had to sacrifice a creature to put put another creature into play at a reduced rate. Usually other things could happen as well, but that, that was the idea. And I was like, oh, so this is kind of an emerge, right? You're paying less, but you're sacrificing a creature to do it. But then as I played it, I was like, oh, no, this is actually way better because you still get everything that's going on under it. And any plus one, plus one counters, since you pick which stat line you want, right? If it's like a zero, zero and just has a bunch of plus one, plus one counters, you just still get all of those plus one, plus one counters. You can get this gigantic creature. So it really surprised me in how much more powerful that, that it was than I was expecting. It also makes it easier. At least some of the load is a little bit lighter when you're playing the mutate because, you know, for a long time you're like, okay, I need to... Whenever I have Fertilid, right? Fertilid has two plus one plus one counters on it. You can sack a plus one plus one counter to go and get a land. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what I want to do is just leave the Fertilid with one plus one plus one counter on it and then mutate onto it. But it doesn't matter. You can just mutate onto the Fertilid at any point because you still have the Fertilid ability and you can still go get the land at any point you've got a plus one plus one counter on it. So it's a lot easier and a lot less of a mental tax than I was actually expecting in that way. But exactly like you're talking about, it's so easy once you get a stack of like four or five creatures, it's so easy to forget what exactly something does. Even you know, they, they clearly tried to answer this by adding more like, mini icons to the bottom. You're right, they changed the whole UI just to try and get this set to work a lot better. I haven't had a chance to play with it physically, and so I suspect exactly like you say that it'll be better. But also, I you know, this is not like... Uh, items that go on, uh, specifically go on other creatures in other games. Like, uh, when you played Legend of the Five Rings, old Legend of the Five Rings, or even, I guess, new, when you put an attachment that was really only designed to go onto a character, it just it had a plus one in the corner, so you could just kind of slide it under, and you'd see what it did. And, right, and so there's an easy visual reference so you didn't forget it. Even having a stack of cards is still really easy to not know what anything does, because you're going to have to do... I, I don't know. Like, it, it still seems like a lot. So that's that's mutate. You mentioned the giant monster theme. I gotta tell you that that was that was sort of the the initial kind of uh on Ikoria. My nine year old really loves the idea of giant monsters. I was never a Tammy, and I'm still not. Even though I'm casual, not that I can't enjoy a good creature, but that's not the thing. I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to be anymore. I, I don't really I don't really feel like a Janie. But so that was kind of a miss. But I also what do you think about the aesthetic overall? Because from set to set, it, right, there are different ones where you like the overall visual style less or more. But this one, all of these nightmare cat beast elemental things, I don't like them. It's not that the art isn't well executed. There's clearly a consistent style. It's I don't whatever the style guide let out basically. I'm not a fan when i look at the cards that i like the art of in this it's like nothing that doesn't have the human creature type basically what do you think about the way the monsters are depicted here i mean 
for the most part, I love it. I really like all of the different creature types. It like adds to tribal decks really nicely. Maybe not like 100%, but sometimes just having something be an ooze, you know, let somebody have an extra fun ooze in their deck or whatever. Uh, I actually I love the comic style of it. I really like the Godzilla part of it. And I understand what they did where they, you know, they're like, okay, well, we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. So we're just going to name these things alternatively, right? Because it's still technically the card that it's replacing. So it's really just, it's essentially like a foil or something, right? It's just a visual alternate. But it also makes it a, a little bit weird trying to explain to people, uh, maybe more to new people, oh, the reason that it references its that name in its text is that that is technically what it is. And also, like in Arena, there's no way to search for it, or at least there wasn't when I was playing, based on the Godzilla Toho monsters. But that's what a lot of people know, because that's what everybody immediately put on their cards. You know, most people put immediately on their cards. Yeah, Arena handed out a lot of, uh, I think, all the draft entries early on. You were getting the, the card styles for that. And the bundles. Since you mentioned the oh, the comic book style, my tickets do you like the alternate art versions? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, those are some of my favorites. And they actually got some really well-known comic book people, uh, like Darren Warren Johnson. I his name is slipping in my head, but like I love his stuff, and he's got a couple pieces in here, and I got one of them in my box that I, I purchased, and I, I love it. Like I get that people may not entirely like it. There's always styles that you know are going to be hit or miss for people, but yeah, I, I really really like them. We had kind of the reverse situation with Theros. I really liked the constellation guards, like the the gods stuff. I you think you were like, eh, yeah. here I I don't dislike them. I mean, I'm not a fan of the overall aesthetic of this set, and I'm not a fan of the alternate stuff either, but not not any more so. So that's one of those, like, indifferent sort of things. And on the Godzilla cards, though, however, this is this is kind of a recurring theme. It's where, you again, you have, I'm initially, like, undecided or indifferent, and then when I play with it, it ends up feeling worse than I was expecting it to. So Godzilla, I don't care about. I saw that they were doing that, the exotic alternate frame things with the Godzilla, and really my thought was like, well, I have no interest in that, so now I don't have to like contemplate whether or not I want to buy collector's packs or something, basically, right? Right. I don't need to buy those anyway. However, it kind of goes back to what I was saying with the Mutate cards. The Godzilla cards look so different from the normal cards, to the point of having, right, like like you mentioned, somewhere in tiny text is the real name of the card, but the big, huge name on the top of the card is the Godzilla thing, right? You, like, wave over it, and it's like, baby Godzilla, okay, which one is this again? And so, it's like that. This doesn't come up much with the other alternate arts, because it's still kind of like a depiction of the same thing, and like, okay, it's a, it's not exactly the same picture, obviously, it's not that hard to track between the normal version and the and the quote unquote you know the comic book style alt arts, but the right. Godzillas again. It's like every time I'm like, oh, God, which card is this? Yeah, like I really like King Ghidorah, so I was really excited when that came up. But also, I can never remember that the actual card is a Luna, even though I just remembered it there. But yeah, no. It, I have problems remembering exactly which ties to which, because I am excited for the Godzilla creatures, because I love Godzilla, I love the Toho movies, so I kind of have the opposite problem. I'm so excited to play with these creatures 
that I don't really care about what, you know, what they're technically supposed to be in magic. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like the same problem, just on the other side of the coin. And, and what's funny is, too, I think if you go a set back, we flipped again because I don't think – I think you did not care for the story of the fairy tale frames, and I love those frames. Yeah, I thought that the Throne of Eldraine adventure frames were just mostly really busy. Yeah, it's just funny to me that we literally have just flopped every single set now. I guess when we get to Zendikar, I don't, I don't know if they're – I guess I hadn't thought about whether or not they're doing all this stuff for 2021, but whatever. When we when we right. get to Zanikar, we can we can flip around again. And <laughs> so here's the thing. I mean, you know, who knows what they're actually going to do? But Zendikar has a couple of elements that I really like the aesthetics of. Unless I'm mixing my planes up. So vampires are one of my favorite creature types, and along with the like Innistrad vampires, the Zendikar vampires look amazing. I really like the aesthetic they do on the Zendikar vampires, that you've got the core. I feel like such a goober. I'm like, like, why am I excited about it? Because of the aesthetic of the way that they present certain creature types in the set. So that, that doesn't mean it's going to translate to the, the alternate art or stuff, but Zendikar, that I look forward to from an aesthetic perspective. Hopefully that will pan out. <laughs> right. Let's see. So one of the other mechanics that's new for Ikoria is keyword counters, right? You can put a flying counter on a thing or put a trample counter on a thing. And now it has that ability, but then you can also move it around. Uh, how has that worked out for you in play? It's mostly just has made better versions of cards, like strictly better versions of cards, but also that seems fine. I get that it's a added complexity, but I think there've been a lot of things that kind of have done this in the past. It's basically like an instant enchantment that just doesn't sit on the creature. So, you know, it's cool. I like it. I really don't think it adds that much complexity, especially if you have a big extra token that's sitting actually on there. That seems fine. That that should be pretty easy to remember. I, I really have not had too much problem with token creatures like remembering it or having too much rules complexity. And it, it's really not that big of an add. So they said that this set is a complexity test to try to see exactly where the sweet spot was. And I think I think those tokens are even easier than I thought they were for me personally. Yeah, I, I've been fine with the ability counters. They aren't exciting, right? But they're functional, right? Like they 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 do something, and and like you said, yeah, a lot of it is just the it gives them a functional mechanism to to permanently hand out abilities. Essentially, it's poor poor auras. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the the sort of generic things to do seems to be like cycle and then put a token, put an ability, a keyword token on somebody, or instant plus two plus two and put an ability token on somebody oh yeah that's right and cycling is back i i, I can never argue with cycling i can <laughs> it's not cycling itself I, I really like cycling i think it, it's generally pretty good i think cycling for one generic mana is a mistake it seems real not good to me at least for my play experience even if it's the cap lands that you can cycle for a colored mana those are fine i think but just having it be one, I think it's let it dominate the limited sets way more than you'd expect. And it's made decks that are just like kind of super uninteractive and you can dig through your deck really, really fast. And, you know, you put in blue cards and you don't even have islands or any way to make blue mana because you can just cycle it away for one. And, you know, you trigger all these other effects. I generally like cycling. I do not like cycling as a focus of the deck, if that makes sense. Like, I don't like the extra abilities you get from cycling. Cycling's already good enough. 
So you, you don't want to go back to onslaught block no. either. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's all right. That's that's what this is reminiscent of for me. It's like, oh, it's the new version of Astral Slide kind of thing. The other thing is, right, the whole set really like the big thing they're selling is big monsters. And to me, this was the same thing that happened kind of in Innistrad. Is they sold Innistrad, and, and it is as like a gothic horror block. But then some of the strongest cards out of it had nothing to do with any of the horror elements, right? It, you know, it was the two-two double striker with protection from the both the colors that were prominent in the set for like three mana you know it's just weird because they're like here's our big thing now here's the other mechanic that we're going to add that doesn't really thematically tie it into any of this other stuff we're selling you but actually it's going to be way more functionally powerful and what you probably will see in not even like super competitive decks even just baseline competitive decks it always feels so weird and counter to me that's a funny thing i haven't i'm not interested enough in the answer to this question to actually go do the math but i wonder how much bigger if at all is the average creature in a Coria compared to like the average creature in another standard legal set? They don't. It doesn't feel like they're any bigger. I think it would be bigger just because I think they have more bigger creatures. If that makes sense, because they can have more creatures that are have a bigger stat line because they have mutate, which can allows which allows them to lower the cost, so they can have more of them. Yeah, I guess it's just that like. Especially with my mind, which still occasionally gets mired in like the magic of 15 to 20 years ago, creatures are so much more efficient than they used to be. Like, right. just what feels big anymore? Four fours don't feel big anymore, do they? Well, four fours with the right abilities do. I mean, they could be good, but you don't you don't feel big because you have an ability. I don't. So they just don't. Sure. I thought it was going to have be more loaded with. I don't know what things that were like seven sevens or eight eights, and not that there aren't some of those, but you have those in every magic set sure. now, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's more that they do things, right? They cycle, and when they cycle, they give somebody uh, uh, an ability token. You know, I, I think that's actually a pretty cool way of doing them. Well, and that actually is, I think, the right the overlap between big monsters and cycling, which we, I guess. I guess I, if you had asked me in advance, I think I probably would have expected a bit more of this, but right. one of the things you can do with cycling is have expensive cards, and then if you can't afford them yet, then you cycle them away, but then if you get to draw them later on, then you're like, ooh, it's my big monster. Smash you in the face. Right, but there, there's relatively few of them, and actually most of them are Godzilla. Yeah. You know, one adds Death Touch, one adds Trample. You know, I think those are good, but there are actually not that many of them. No, no, there aren't. Most of the cycling stuff's uh, like on spells. Yeah, draft archetype filled stuff, and that's and I know that is that is one thing that you do. I think if you look through the set, the the size of the non-human creatures, like they're right, you're right. It divides into like humans and mon- and monsters essentially, and the small size creatures are largely taken up by the humans. Then you've got a bunch of monsters, and that side of it is bigger, and maybe that's that's supposed to to partially convey that. But um, right, I could be wrong. I think the last major mechanical thing that we have not yet touched on is companions. Maybe I'm forgetting something else. I don't feel like I, I don't think like human matters. I, I don't have anything to say right. about that. Right, it's just another yeah, yeah. creature type. But companions. My preface is that it feels to me like companions are an enormous deal, but what are your thoughts on companions? I guess I want to like companions more than I 
to Justin, I don't know. I don't feel like I like, you know, that that's a big controversy right now that companions are just busted and they're broken and they're ruining magic. I don't think that's true. I do think there's something to be said that like if you can run a companion, the companions are very hard to balance, right? Because you have two different things. You have what cost it's going to be up front to be able to build your deck so that you can use the companion, and you have the payoff of what does the companion actually do when it comes into play. And the payoff has to be good enough to make the deck restriction worthwhile, or you just have a deck restriction that's so meaningless that doesn't almost doesn't matter what the effect is. You can just you're just going to be able to put the card into play. You know, it just if you ask any player, hey, would you just like to draw an extra card that nobody can interact with before the game starts? They're going to say yes, and you're guaranteed it's not a land. Like, yeah, 100%, absolutely. So I get the complaint that, it, you know, it kind of homogenizes it, cause, especially because there are only 10 command, uh, companions. I still don't think of the companions that we've seen that any of them are so strong that they by themselves are what are wrecking standard, if you consider it wrecked, right? Like, I, I don't think any of those effects, I, I think they just compound issues that are already going on in standard magic right now. But obviously, they also affected things like legacy and, and vintage. So vintage, vintage. <laughs> yeah. Here comes well, Loris. Yeah. I think it is a sign and these, who knows what these necessarily mean, but I think it is a sign that you're like, you're looking at a card that is a rare, it's not a mythic, it's a rare and that is really a one of. I mean, right, you can have four of them, but really it's it's the first one that matters. And you have some of these things selling like fifteen, twenty dollars a pop. That's right. the, the demand on them. So I'm definitely closer to the sky is falling point of view than you are. I don't really want to be on the sky is falling point of view, and I especially because I frankly just don't have the the expertise to do something like analyze standard overall. But from my personal experience point of view, I saw the companions and my thoughts were like, were basically two part, like, oh, that's cool. And that's weird. Like something like a companion is the kind of thing that I love in a supplemental product. Right. So it was very weird to have something like that in magic. And I'm like, well, deck building restrictions. Oh, that could be a big deal. I don't know. i have to see how that works out. So as a practical matter, it's turned out, of course, that for a lot of these companions, the upside of them is way more than the downside of, of your deck restriction. But the sort of important thing is that every single time that I sit down and my opponent pulls out a companion, my reaction is, ugh. Yeah. I just hate sitting down against them. They've been out a month, and I'm sick of them. Sure. If you ask, I, wizard, this is right. This is not how wizards goes goes about making decisions, nor is it how they should go about making decisions. But if you told me right now, Chris, you get to decide right now. This is your one chance to make a decision about companions. I would ban them. I would be like, this was a mistake to make them standard legal cards. We will just send them off to wherever, and that's what they're 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 going to go have fun in a supplemental set. And the particular thing that makes it them feel so odd to me from a game design perspective is that even when I wasn't playing Magic, I've always listened to... I used to always read, and then I stopped reading Mark Rosewater stuff, but I still listen to the Drive to Work podcast. And one of the things that comes up over and over again 
is discouraging repetitive play that like we realize that this mechanic was a problem because it discourages because rep- it encourages repetitive play like don't have too many tutors don't make something like transmute because then what people do with it is just like always transmute to get the exact same card and then just play that card every single turn and then they went and they made a mechanic where the whole point of it is that you always have this card available you don't even have to tutor for it it's just already there and it's just, I can only imagine that this was something like, people really love Commander. Let's see if we can do a Commander thing in normal Magic, I guess. But like, to me, Commander functions as a people goofing around and not really being too serious about it sort of thing. If you play somebody who's playing generico, casual Commander, and then you have somebody else who actually like, tries to make a bloodthirsty commander deck, it's going to be a miserable game. It'll be over quickly. And the reason why commander works is because people just don't do that. I mean, there are some people who play commander like that, but they tend to like... The, the, people agree. You know, congregate in a like-minded right. group. There's just this social contract, even without getting into like... I know I, I know at places like Command Fest, they, they try to like rate decks so they can like try to get people of similar mindsets together. But like that doesn't work in a tournament environment. Whatever the, the most potent thing is, that's what people are going to try to do. And what you're trying to do as the designer, or one of the you know 1,700 things you're trying to do, is to have the play that is effective in the tournament line up with the play that is fun. And I thought the companions were neat. And I still think that they're a neat idea, and I'd, I'd love to see stuff like that in supplementals. The companions, more than anything, make me not want to play. I play less Arena because of companions. I literally play the game less because I do not like the play experience of companions. That was actually my argument, because I did like a Twitter thread that I'm sure nobody read, but... I don't think that it's that companions are necessarily broken. Like, uh, certainly, uh, I'm not saying Luris isn't a problem and probably doesn't need to be talked about in Legacy. But I think the overall, the companions as a whole are not really necessarily broken cards. However, they don't have to be to be like an experience that people don't like. And right, they've banned cards for that before. They've banned cards because they're like, you know what, this just isn't magic like we thought it was going to be magic and we misjudged it, whatever. So I think exactly like you're saying, if you're saying, hey, I just don't like playing this magic, because certainly there would be magic before companions and magic after companions. And while companions are in, unless there's some really compelling, unless the restrictions are strict enough that it's going to mess with your deck and how it functions, or they don't get enough payoff, or there's some mechanic that you have that punishes companions, there's really no reason not to play with a companion, which is, is not... Like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily bad, but there's also only 10 of them. So, like, you only have so many choices for them anyways. And certainly ones are stronger than others. So, you know, then you're looking at, okay, well, most decks are probably going to run, like, the two or three strongest. I also have not played a ton of Arena, and there's a number of reasons for that, which some of which are not actually Magic-related. I played all the way through the Theros Mastery Pass, and that was a little bit more grinding than I think I needed to do. Also, the new Mastery Pass, instead of having a pet that upgrades, it's just like a different style of pet, which is cool, and I feel like that idea, but also just compels me less to actually finish it. But also, the, the reason I, I've been playing less, besides the Burnout, is just like the standard decks I don't really care for. 
it's really not companion. It, it, it's much more about things that are similar to what you're talking about, but it's not companion. To me, it's Fires of Invention. It's the amazing ease of ramp, and it's how incredibly strong five drops are. Those three things have homogenized decks beyond belief. So it always feels like you're playing almost the same deck. So it's like, I don't know. If you were to ask me, I would tell you that I like ramp. I, I would tell you that I like, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're doing. But the current environment just, for me, has not been super fun. And the last environment, I thought Thero had a little bit too much ramp, but I, I thought it was really pretty enjoyable. And I would think, hey, you know what? I'll make a, a Godzilla deck because I really like Godzilla creatures. I really like the Godzilla monsters. I'll build a, like, a mediocre Godzilla deck that I just grind around in gold in. But like everything outclasses it so hard there's not even a point. You can't even really do a Godzilla deck unless you really want to be like low in bronze and just not care if you have like a 20% win rate off the, you know, the times that care the people aren't like drawing cards. But the problem is still consistency. It's just like, I think companions are very obviously the consistent thing, but I don't think they're actually the consistent component that is making mi uh, magic miserable right now. Let's segue from being made miserable by stuff. So I, I don't know about you, but I made a little list of the, the things that I, the random little cards or whatever that I did like in Ikoria. I do have a selection of cards that I like the art on, but since this is, even if I turn this into a YouTube video, I, I mean, I guess I can throw up, but it's still throw pictures up, but it's still primarily an audio podcast, which makes it not a great place to just like list off an ooh and ah about what art I liked. So setting that aside, though, I wanted to go through some like sort of little highlights I liked, and then you can uh, jump in on these, or if you have your own, you want to toss in at the end, so we can end on some sort yeah. of like higher higher note. Let's see what let's see what do I like. I like the Almighty Brushwag because that's yeah. just funny. It's the sort of funny that I like. It's an understated sort of humor. Also, he, I, I again, I. Don't take strategy advice from me, but he he seems good to mutate off of in Limited. Oh, he's great. He's actually a pretty high pick for most of the competitive people. I find the card Blade Banish noteworthy just because it has the Wanderer on it, and I, I continue to be curious where that is going. Yep. Let's see. One card type I do like, which I guess maybe is Janie of me, is I like sort of uh, rules-changing enchantment sort of things, or like in enchantments that kind of like... Not rules changing really, but like that, uh, that that have some like large global effect that lets you build up advantage over time. So there's the obvious one, whirlwind of thought. I, look, I can draw cards for for shooting with my lightning bolt. Why, well, yes, I will. But then also death's oasis can get, get you some nice little advantage out of that as as things die. And another one is, although I imagine you don't like it, given your thoughts on cycling, is unpredictable cyclone. If you just want to just kind of go cascady right. with your, and then I'll just segue from there to one of my favorite cards from the set is Yodaro. It's funny, like I guess he's red because like that's what they're doing with red and cycling. But I, it feels so like draw go to me. I'm like, can this be a blue card? Yeah, <laughs> I just sit there and I draw cards, and eventually that's my win condition, right? No, that's part of the reason why I don't really shift into full Tammy mode when I become more casual is because my my roots ultimately involve, you know, aggro control kind of things or like just flat out draw go the deck kind of stuff. 
can I rip multiple cards out of your hand early on while I beat you up with some small black creature, or can I uh, just control the thing like out? That's the sort of old origins of magic for me. So Yudaro appeals to me. I like a couple of the ultimatums, which is, I mean, they're like super expensive, but especially Eerie, uh, Eerie Ultimatum and, and Genesis Ultimatum. There are a couple of movie references in here. The Sharknado one kind of makes me want to throw up in my mouth, but that's okay because it's not for me. But I, I'm mildly amused by Kogla the Titan Ape, which is, you know, very obviously King Kong and the little Grab Fay Ray ability. I will always take more multi-lands, so I'm, I'm happy with the Triomes. I'm also happy with the Crystals. I do, again, especially over in Commander Universe, it's always nice to have a mana ramp that can also then just be turned into card draw later on. So, like, we you know if you've already got eight land out, you can be like, chuck this. Yep. And the three-color stuff, always, again, always a place in these slow, controly things. On the opposite side of slow control, I really like Sprite Dragon, because it is very aggro control reminiscent of me, right? I can just picture myself playing turn two Sprite Dragon, bink you in the nose, and then just spend the next three turns, like, shooting or countering everything that you try to play while I it gets bigger and just keeps punching you in the face. Startling development. Set aside whether or not it's any good. That is a hilarious... Not, hilarious isn't even the right word. Because it's not like it's... I mean, it, it's a little bit money. It's just... I think that's a masterful package of art and what the card does and mechanically and what the flavor text is. Mm-hmm. There's like a mama bird trying to feed the baby birds and one of them has just... Vroom, turned into this giant lizard sitting there in the nest. I thought that was great. Because I have my control of things, I'm also enamored of Voracious Great Shark. Because that's... Obviously, it has its restrictions, but that's a way bigger body than, like, Frilled Mystic. (laughs) And then, because we always pay attention to the Planewalkers, neither Narset nor Vivian is, like, an enormous favorite of mine, but I, I do like them, especially Narset, so... I liked seeing them. I'm going to have to guess. I I have not had a reason to grow enamored of the new Planeswalker. And Luca, given my overall eh about Ikoria, I'm guessing I'm not going to develop a fondness for him. But hey, but still, you know, Narset kicks high, I guess. And, and Vivian certainly makes sense in a set about bonding with monsters, yep. right? So there's my list of positive notes. What you got? Definitely Yadaro, and also not least of reason because he is one of the Godzillas. Just the Godzilla Toho thing, like I think that's really cool that they, they managed to do that. I know this is mostly positive. I do want to say one kind of slightly negative is that what's cool is that, that on Arena, they were very effective at getting them to people. It was pretty easy to get, you know, you might have to spend a little bit of money or whatever, but, you know, it's a cosmetic thing, so that doesn't seem so bad to me. So it's really kind of cool to see them, and they have an option where you can turn them off if you really don't want to see them, and that seems good. But I got my box, and the only one I could get was the box stopper, because they're not in the regular American or U.S. boxes, right? Like, you have to get them either for collector's boosters or from Japanese boxes, which is a little bit frustrating. They're not gonna, Most of them are not going to be too expensive, but like one of the ones I want is King Ghidorah, and he is $50 right now. I'm just like... I. I didn't realize that. Wait, they're, they're, you literally can't open them in a pack? You can open the alternate style, the, the comic book style. Those are replacements one for one for whatever rarity they're replacing. 
But no, you cannot open the Godzilla cards except for in the Japanese regular boosters or in collector's boosters. Wow. If I wanted those, that would suck. Yeah, well, I mean, it, at least it gives some kind of point to the collector's boosters, and because it is it is just a cosmetic thing, I'm not super bummed about it. But, like, the alternate full, like, showcase Aluna, right, is 4 or $5, and then Ghidorah, who's the same thing, is $50. So, you know, it's a, it's a little frustrating. He's the outlier. Most of the cards are, like, still only 2 3 4 $5. It, it, it's really not bad if you don't mind singles. But, you know, it, it would have been nice to have some other way of getting them. Um, and it also kind of feels counter to other stuff. Like, it made more sense in War of the Spark. It feels very similar to the War of the Spark alternate Planeswalker art things. And certainly Japan and Toho, right? All of that stuff is, is connected. Now, you know, Godzilla very literally is a symbol of the fear of nuclear weapons from Japan in a very certain specific time. So it certainly makes sense why you, that maybe that would get limited, but as a as a Godzilla fan, it's a little bit more frustrating to me. And I'm used to playing with them because I got them all on Arena. Now in physical cards, I'm going to have to like track, train track them down, which is a little bit annoying. But I really take that with a grain of salt. It, it's really not that bad. I just actually have to get used to what they really look like because <laughs> I, I have the actual you know cards with actual art instead of the Godzilla's things. As a Godzilla fan, did you participate in the drop series for the Godzilla lands? Heck no. No, I, yeah, I am not going to pay that much for five lanes. I'm, it's fine that they do it. I don't even think those lanes look that good myself. I mean, yeah, it's like, whatever. I, I, this seems like a, a poor value product. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting on one of the drop series that I bought months and months and months ago. It's all been COVID delayed. Oh, well. The, uh, gods? The, yeah, the stargazing one. Yeah, well, and I, I, ordered the bundle like right when it dropped so i got all of those like immediately and i've had them for months so it's really weird how you jumped in on it early enough that you got one of the sets that had already been printed right but because i did not uh, i ordered it later in the day i was one of the ones that was later printed and then you know everything got covid 19 and oh well yeah i Imagine I will get it before Corset 21, 2021 comes out. We'll see. I kind of want to make some, uh, I don't know. Can I, can I like make an all different Theros gods commander deck? <laughs> this, these are the sort of thoughts that I have now. I, hope so. I will say though, I generally actually like the idea behind Secret Lair. I think it's pretty neat. I just think they're having a really hard time trying to nail it down. And it feels like they tried to push that border like real hard, real fast. And I worry that that's going to get people to where they just have a real bad taste for it. I want them to take the right lesson away from nobody buying the Godzilla lands, or maybe people did, but I have to imagine that was way, way less than some of the other sets that they've done. And like, I just hope that they learn the right lessons from it. It could be. I mean, the lesson they may have also learned is that if we sell people five basic lands for $30, we make smaller gobsmacks of money. I I don't right. know. I mean, Correct. if it, yeah, if selling the Godzilla lands and those don't do well. And I've got to imagine that they don't do as well as some of the other things, but how much do they have to do to be worth it? Probably not a lot. Yeah. And I mean, the, the profit margin, I imagine since you're paying shipping on top of that price, the profit margin's got to be pretty solid. And I mean, there's an opportunity cost of like how many drop layers can you have, I guess. Right. You, you know, I, I actually kind of like the fact, like if you have 12 secret layers in a year and I'm only interested in like three of them, 
oh, that's kind of fine to me. I'm just not going to get excited for each secret layer is the only thing, right? If you limit it down to like four or five per year, then I'm more likely to get excited about any one. And even one that was more marginal on, I'm probably going to purchase. If you get it up to like 12, 20 a year, I'm really only going to purchase the ones I'm very interested in. And, and that's fine. That's actually probably better for me because, it, you know, I'm not spending money on stuff I'm not going to use. Yeah, I think I have... I bought three of them. And I guess it makes sense given the nature of the products. And I bought the ones mostly that I liked the art for. And that right. didn't seem like a total gouge given what the cards were. So I ordered the Stargazing. I ordered the International Women's Day one. And I got the one that was like a play set of Thrabia. <laughs> which, yeah. what, what am I going to use that for? I don't play Modern or something, but whatever. <laughs> I got Ear of the Rat and I got the Stargazing like complete package. But I, I haven't done anything. I have from people purchased the the card back for arena because i like those but that's that's been it and then they put them up for gold anyway so it's like well that's great <laughs> <laughs> well i guess that wraps up our conversation about ecoria oh. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I will say that as much trouble as they are because i did want to do more puzzles i think the like you said i think companions are a neat idea they just came kind of at a time that like they became a focus. I, like, I don't want them to completely give up on companions. Like, I, I think there's a place for them in magic. Like, like you said, it just may not be like standard or competitive magic. Yeah, I think they're a nifty idea. They remind me of stuff that I like, like the old Vanguard cards. I always love alternate format sorts of things. I like, I like Arch Enemy. I like, I liked Vanguard. I, I like that sort of stuff. It's just a very different environment than competitive magic. So I'm I'm happy with the companions as a non-competitive magic product. It's just like I said, it's and it's not like I looked at them when I first saw them preview and it was like, oh, this is gonna be a bad idea. I mean I went like, oh that's different, right? I think everybody did that. Right. But once I actually started playing the games, it just started I don't I Yeah. I wish the I, I wish the companions I like the idea of the companions, I wish it had been deployed somewhere else. Oh, well. Sure. Yep. Oh, I will say another positive thing that I liked uh, that's pretty quick. It's, I just really like the big monsters, and I think they made mutate way more efficient than I thought it was going to be, and I think they actually did a pretty cool thing. Because like you said earlier, it does kind of feel like Bestow it, uh, in a lot of ways, but better than Bestow. And so I really do like that, and I, and I hope they keep playing around with it and get it more nailed down. But yeah, I really like Mutate. I really thought they nailed the overall theme when you don't look at like power and what's good or whatever, which you don't have to to play Magic, right? Exactly like you're talking about. So, you know, if you just want to be, play big, stupid monsters, they add a lot of really fun ones that have really cool effects. So I think, you know, they really nailed it on a lot of places there. Okay. We've been talking today about Ikoria Lair of Behemoths, the most recent expansion for Magic the Gathering. It is available now at your local retailer to the extent that you can get to your local retailer, which I think is a greater extent than a month ago, so yay! Uh, <laughs> you have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. If you go there, you can subscribe to the podcast, but you can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or hopefully whatever podcatching service you use. If you cannot find Strange Assembly at your podcatching service of choice, please let me know. I'd like to fix that situation. You can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. 
I always love to hear your comments, criticism, and other feedback. You can also find us on the usual social media. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com slash strangeassembly. If you're a particularly wonderful person, you can also go visit patreon.com slash strangeassembly and support the show there. But until then, for Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.